Welcome to Common Ground, a talk show encouraging debate and a deeper understanding of hot-button topics in Berlin and beyond. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. There's an old saying about being grateful for having a roof over your head. But in Germany, finding a place to live isn't easy. Senior producer Dina El-Sayed explains. Finding affordable housing in Germany is a Herculean task, especially in its capital, once renowned for its low rents. This scene from 2019, captured by German public broadcaster RBB, shows some 1,800 people queuing to rent a small 550 euro per month apartment in the Berlin neighborhood of Schöneberg. Hamburg, Munich and Frankfurt are also among the cities with the fastest rising property prices in the world, and not enough new homes are being built to keep up with the growing demand. One recent study estimated that Germany is short more than 600,000 apartments, especially those that are affordable or low rent. But how to solve the problem is generating fierce debate. The federal government launched what it calls a living space offensive to build 1.5 million new apartments, invest 2 billion euros in social housing, and introduce more tenant rights, all before the current legislative period ends this year. Interior Minister Horst Seehofer said at a news conference last month that the initiative is working and that 300,000 homes were finished by the government last year alone, the highest number in 20 years. But critics say that number doesn't nearly go far enough. In Berlin, meanwhile, the government stepped in with a five-year Mietendeckel, or rent cap, that began in 2020, affecting about a million and a half apartments. The cap, which Seehofer strongly opposes, is being challenged in court. Iris Sprenger, who is with the governing Social Democrats in the Berlin Parliament, says she and other backers of the rent cap are convinced it will be upheld. She says the rent cap is needed to help untangle Berlin's tense housing situation. The pandemic, meanwhile, is compounding the housing shortage across Germany and in Berlin. So is rising youth unemployment and a skyline of luxurious skyscrapers taking over some of the city's hip and grungy neighborhoods. A popular campaign called Expropriate Deutsche Wohnen and Company aims to bring forward a referendum next September for the city to take over property firms with more than 3,000 apartments and turn them into social housing. If the campaign gathers 170,000 signatures in the next four months, it would become another front in Germany's housing battle. That was senior producer Dina El-Sayed. Joining us via Zoom to discuss the housing crisis and ways to solve it are Thomas McGath, a Berlin activist with the campaign Expropriate Deutsche Wohnen and Company. Barbara Steinbergen, who is in Brussels and heads the EU Liaison Office of the International Union of Tenants, and economist Konstantin Khaladilin of the German Institute for Economic Research in Berlin. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Thank you, Soraya. Nice to meet you. Konstantin, let's start with you. How bad is the housing crisis in Germany and in Berlin? Can it be described as the worst in decades? Well, the world. Worst crisis, of course, if we look back into the history, because I like to, to do this, but uh, for the last uh, couple of decades, indeed, it's uh, quite a, a deep crisis. Just a few numbers. So typically 3% vacancy rate is considered as a natural one. So if you have vacancy at 3% or above it, then it's okay. But nowadays, by nowadays, I mean 2019, the uh, 
vacancy rate in Germany is uh, about 2.8%, so slightly below 3%. But in big cities such as Berlin, Munich and Frankfurt, it's even much lower. So in, in Berlin, it's below 1%. In Munich and Frankfurt, it's uh, at uh, around 0.2%. So it means that uh, the uh, shortage of housing is really acute. So are we talking about home buyers or renters, or is it affecting both? In Germany, no distinction is made when computing vacancy rate between homeowners and uh, tenants. So it's an overall. So if you take the whole market, then which means that the whole market is under pressure. Thomas, you obviously are representing the renter point of view and are actively pursuing remedies to it. What do you see as the reasons for the shortage? And give us a little bit of a description of how it affects Berlin renters, since Berlin is one of the cities where you're really feeling the housing shortage the worst. Sure. So from my perspective, you've seen a really dramatic change in not only the market structure in Berlin, but also in the demographic situation as well. So in Berlin, you're also seeing a big injection of foreign capital um, and a destruction of affordable housing as well. So um, since 1992, after German unification, Berlin has seen uh, a halving of almost uh, all decommodified housing. So we're talking about public housing that used to be owned by the city. This was around 500,000 apartments. Um, There was also social housing units. These are subsidized units that essentially uh, mandate lower rent. Um, These have gone down dramatically. It used to be around 300,000 apartments. Now it's about 80,000 apartments as well. At the same time, due to this, you've seen a huge privatization of the stock of public housing by um, corporations as well. So Deutsche Wohnen, who is the namesake for our campaign, saw its entry into the market in 2004 um, through the privatization of a Berlin housing corporation where they sold 66,000 apartments for 400 million euros which are pennies in comparison to what those apartments are worth now. So through the destruction of affordable housing and an increased, I think, demographic change of people moving to cities, um, we're talking about rapid urbanization um, and areas in East Germany that are being essentially abandoned. They're essentially moving to cities where there's less and less affordable housing. So when we're talking about supply, in my opinion, um, what gets left out of the debate is the supply of affordable housing. So uh, if you're building at the upper level, it doesn't do much for people that are average income earners or people that are in need of uh, income assistance, um, which is a significant proportion. You know, at the federal level, 50% of all Germans are eligible for social housing, actually. So, Barbara, is this a problem that's just in Berlin or just in Germany, or is this an EU-wide phenomenon where there is an acute housing shortage and where rents are skyrocketing the way Thomas was describing? Yeah, absolutely. This is not uh, only a German uh, problem, but uh, it's it's very severe in Germany. Um, EU-wide, we have also a big uh, housing bubble coming up. We have a lot of speculation coming up into markets. We have a lot of misplaced investment. We have a lot of, let's say, luxurious condominiums built up, and we do have a lack of affordable rental and social housing. This is a massive problem all over Europe. The European Commission estimates the lack of investment per year at the point of 57 billion euro. So you see, um, we need definitely more investment in affordable housing. You do have to know that all over Europe, 30% of the people rent. They are tenants. But Berlin is actually um, the capital of tenants because there we have a quota of 85% 
because it was stable, it was safe, there was security of tenure, it was a good and balanced housing market. But that, and uh, there I have to support Thomas, uh, absolutely, it changed. Um, and it changed massively in the year 2000, where we have a massive influx of foreign investors coming into the city, purchasing the affordable housing stock. And it went worse during the global financial crisis. So yes, uh, we do have a housing crisis in Europe and it's uh, massively in Berlin. Do you have a range of how much rents are rising? I mean, percentage wise. Yes, in the last years, um, the rents in Berlin have been uh, rosen by uh, 40%. How can something rise by 40% if no investment is made at all? This is highly speculative and this is why we needed a market regulation in Berlin because if you do not stop this, it will be a never-ending spiral of high rents. Constantine, how much of this has to do with the fact, though, that Berlin rents were unusually low, uh, certainly for the capital of the economic giant or economic powerhouse of Europe? I mean, there was a time where Berlin was two cities, you know, West Berlin and East Berlin, and a lot of things were duplicative in terms of uh, government buildings and, and other things that may have been converted. So I'm wondering, is that playing a role in why the prices are escalating to the level that they are in Berlin? Yes, sure. Here I have to go back to the history, not uh, not to the far history, but to recent history. So in, in 1990s, there was a lot of investment in the housing stock. So at the end of the day, there were more houses than people. And uh, the next 15 years till 2010, the uh, rents and prices were stagnating. In fact, I did a study which showed that um, in 2012, the uh, prices, not the rents, but the purchase prices, uh, asking prices in Berlin were undervalued compared to other uh, big cities. So given its uh, location, given its uh, income level, the uh, prices in Berlin and therefore the rents were undervalued. But what we had afterward, and it was mentioned also by Thomas and by Barbara, we had uh, a big immigration. So after 2010, a big inflow of people took place. At some points, there were 60,000 persons coming to Berlin more than leaving it, which is a population of a middle-sized city. And given that the housing supply is fixed in the short run, so you cannot, from one day to another, you cannot extend the supply of houses. This, of course, led to a housing shortage. And uh, the only thing that can rise quickly are the rents. Therefore, they started to rise. Constantine, what about the pandemic, though? I mean, this is one thing we haven't talked about yet, and I'm wondering what role that's playing in the shortage. Well, if we look at the um, development of rents in the last year for big German cities, we'll see that the rents decelerated. So they, they are growing, but not at the same pace as before. And it's not only due to Mittendeckel, that we are going probably to discuss uh, later on, but it also probably has to do with, uh, with the pandemic. But um, the effect is not very substantial. One figure to notice, I told you that at some point there were 60,000 people arriving to Berlin. In the last year, almost nobody arrived, which means that uh, the pressure is not uh, there anymore. So uh, you don't see really big uh, consequences. At least I don't see any big consequences from the point of view of rental market from the pandemic. Plus there was also protection provided by government, both in terms of um, 
protection from eviction and in terms of uh, subsidies provided to households to support them if they lost their incomes due to a pandemic. Thomas, what about the demand for commercial property, which, of course, has suffered during the pandemic? Some officials and experts have talked about converting that into housing. And I'm wondering if you see that as a viable option. Why or why not? I think it depends on the framework behind it. So um, I think any supply of housing is desirable in in the current situation. But um, I think we've seen from other cities that when it's built at market prices or luxury prices, it doesn't do much to relieve the pressure on the prices um, for normal people as well. I think that there are certain steps that cities can do. So for example, uh, Mallorca decided to expropriate 56 apartments um, that were owned by, I believe they were they were sitting around by real estate developers, uh, empty for, for seven years or so. Um, I believe that it could lead to a better distribution of apartments throughout the city as well. So Berlin also has this kind of famous, unfortunate, um, notorious history of building way too much office space, actually. And this is one of the reasons why it went bankrupt in the early 2000s, because the city was trying to attract these companies, um, which was totally unrealistic given the macroeconomic um, criteria of the city. It could be something where we say, you know, we have an acute need. This could be a way to convert it into apartments as well. But in my opinion, I don't think that that's the the immediate solution because it would take time. It would cost money. Um, The city in itself um, would have to pay for essentially compensation for these apartments, for these properties as well. Um, And I think at least when it comes to Airbnb in Berlin, it wasn't a big enough, I think, proportion of the city to make a big difference in the rents. Okay, Barbara, you want to add something? Go ahead. Yes, uh, I want to add something to Thomas, and I I would like to contradict uh, Constantine a little bit, if I may. Actually, we had a a recent study um, that there is potential of 235,000 office spaces to be converted into affordable rental housing. I do think this is an interesting option because uh, those offices are located in the inner city most of the time. And in the inner city centers, we do not have building land anymore. So this is, let's say, a unique occasion to turn entire markets where we otherwise would not have access to building land and also access to the possibility to put up big blocks of affordable housing. So this is interesting, but I agree. Um, We had some um, conversions from office to rental residential housing before. And uh, most of the time it went uh, to uh, the luxurious side of the market. And this is something we have to regulate. Um, But I do think, especially in Berlin, um, when you look at this big spaces, Potsdamer Platz, for instance, we have a lot of potential there and it has to be moderated by the city. Otherwise, uh, we will not manage this uh, development. The second thing I wanted to add is to Konstantin, you said, you couldn't really see that there is an increase of rent prices all over Germany. To my knowledge, and according to the German Union of Tenants, that is not actually the case. Um, We do see many, many rent increases. And we do see in our offices where we give legal aid to tenants that more and more are worried how to pay their rents. So I do not see a very good um, development in that direction. And I do see that we need direct help to tenants, not only eviction bans. um, This was actually the only measure that uh, Germany um, implemented. But we do also need some protective measures for more security of tenure and regulation of uh, unleashed markets. And one of those regulations is, of course, the rent cap or even a rent freeze. 
Konstantin, I wanted to move away from Berlin for a minute and talk about the federal approach, which is called the Wohnungsraum Offensive or Living Space Offensive, if you want to translate it literally, where the goal is to build one and a half million apartments in this legislative period. Do you think that that's achievable? Do you think that the federal approach has any issues? In one word, I do think that it is achievable. And in fact, if we look at the numbers, then we see that in the last, uh, say, five years, there were around uh, 286,000 new dwellings completed each year. In 2020, even 300,000, which is quite a bit. Although it falls short of the plans of the federal government, they would like to have 375,000 buildings a year. And I see that the the measures undertaken by the federal government are indeed formidable. So we see, first of all, that since 2015, 1 billion euros is invested each year in social housing. So the federal government supports lender, federal states, and their activities of providing new social housing, because as you know, the social housing stock has been decreasing all over the years since the 60s, and now it's about 3% in Germany, which is lower than in many neighbor countries. And if we look at the experience of Germany in the previous decades, we see that 375,000 a year is not something unusual. So before much larger numbers of dwellings uh, had been built. So I'm quite optimistic in what concerns the uh, achievement of these goals. Well, Thomas, do you think that the federal government is dealing with this problem as aggressively as they should be? Uh, one word, no. <laughs> so if you look at the trends, at least for the, the social housing, you know, um, over the past two years since they announced this summit, um, 1.5 million apartments for me, it's been essentially uh, just private apartments. So we're talking about market rate apartments. Actually, the value of land has still gone up significantly since 2018. So in terms of the communal funding for land acquisition or community land trust, there just hasn't been much there. For the actual social housing units, we were averaging at around, I think around 5,000 a year up until I believe so 2016, 2017. This is outrageous because there's 100,000 social apartment units disappearing from the market every single year. This has to do with the way that they have regulated the funding behind it. Essentially, you get 30 to 40 years on a cheap loan, and then it expires after that. There's also nothing to stop these real estate corporations from buying up these social housing and paying off essentially the cheap loan and funding early and then turning it into market rate housing. The result is is somewhat sober, in my opinion. So we've seen still a net loss of a huge amount of affordable housing and social housing as well. Um, and for me, it's a complete capitulation to um, the real estate market and the profit motive behind housing. I think Barbara would like to add something. Go ahead. Yes, we have also um, seen the, the figures of the German government with a lot of interest. Um, what we directly saw is, and that was quite weird, actually, they said, well, they built 1.5 million housing units. Uh, first of all, yes, but have they been affordable? Question mark. We doubt that. And in this calculation, we also found that actually there were a lot of building permits, but you cannot live in building permits. What we also think it's a scandal how the social uh, housing uh, stock in Germany is fading away. As Konstantin pointed out, we are really at the low end of the scala when you uh, take a look at the European average. I mean, Greece has 1.5% social housing, and uh, shortly after that, it's Germany with uh, 
and the figures are going down. On the other end of the scala, we have, for instance, we have countries like um, the Netherlands with 30% of social and affordable housing, France with 25% uh, social and affordable housing, same in Sweden. So we are actually wondering what is going wrong in Germany, and it's also the only country all over Europe where social housing units lose their allocation as social housing units. This is not existing in any other country and I'm really wondering why this is the case in Germany because this would definitely help to solve uh, the social and affordable housing crisis that we have here. I'm going to let Constantine weigh in here. So the first thing is um, the phenomenon of filtering. You say that uh, only expensive dwellings are built which is not completely true because in Berlin they also have this uh, model of 30%. So if each time you build a multi-family house, you have to provide about 30% as social dwellings. So that's the condition for you to obtain the, the building permit. But even if you build only private apartments, it means that people living in older apartments and having more resources, they will move to these new apartments and the uh, apartments which they leave, they will automatically, well, not automatically, but they will be on the market. So they will cost less and they can be more affordable to the people with uh, lower resources. That's one thing. Second thing about the social housing policy, which Barbara mentioned, and it's true that uh, in Germany, there's a certain period, 20 or 30 years, when the dwelling is social and then it uh, stops being social and it can be uh, sold or rented out at the normal market conditions. But I think it's an advantage of German housing market, of German social housing market, because in Germany, social housing is not stigmatized like it's, it is in other European countries. And the quality of social housing in Germany is way higher than, say, in uh, the UK or in, uh, in Belgium. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about the housing crisis here in Germany, as well as Berlin's controversial Mietendeckel, or rent cap or freeze, which could end up becoming a nationwide phenomenon. Stay tuned. Hi everyone, I'm Maurice Frank, editor of the Berliner Zeitung English Edition, which is a proud partner of Common Ground. Is it hard for you to figure out what's going on in Berlin because everything you read or hear is in German? We at Berliner Zeitung English Edition can help, providing you with all the news you can use in English, whether on politics, business or culture. We also offer riveting interviews and commentary. Look for us at berliner-zei. Or just type in Berliner Zeitung English Edition into your search engine. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, the host of Common Ground. And I'm Dina El Sayed, the senior producer. Each week we bring you a new lively discussion on a hard-hitting topic. If you want to learn more about our podcast, check out our website at commongroundberlin.com. The episodes are free to download, but they aren't free to create. Common Ground depends on grants as well as donations from listeners like you. So if you want to help us out, please click on the donate button at commongroundberlin.com. And thanks for listening.
Welcome back to Common Ground. I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, and I'm talking via Zoom to Thomas McGath of Expropriate Deutsche Wohnen and Company, Barbara Steinbergen of the International Union of Tenants, and Konstantin Khaladilin of the German Institute for Economic Research. We're talking about the critical housing shortage in Germany. As we heard in Dina's story, rising rents in Berlin led officials to impose a controversial Mietendeckel, or rent cap, in the city last year, which freezes most apartment rents at mid-2019 levels. Under the provision, tenants can also demand their landlords lower rents in certain circumstances. The rent cap is being fought in court, but that doesn't stop the Social Democrats who lead the Berlin government coalition and who are the junior partner in the federal governing coalition to call for the measure to be imposed across Germany. We asked SPD Berlin representative Iris Spranger about the plan. If federal law had better addressed the issue, we in Berlin may not have needed a rent cap at all. But I think it's right that other states or even the federal government adopt a rent cap, although they are waiting on how the federal constitutional court rules, which I am convinced will go our way. So, Barbara, do you agree with what Spranger is saying? Is this a federal failing? And how helpful has the Mietendeckel been to renters in Berlin? Well, I do think it's a federal failing um, because we actually do have a rent cap in Germany nationwide. But it is in the uh, hands of the lender, the German lender, to impose uh, regulations. They have to define tense housing markets and some don't. I'll give you an example. It's, it's sometimes it's a little bit arbitrary. All of a sudden, um, Schleswig-Holstein decided that there is no tense housing market anymore. Well, my proposal would be to ask some people living there and trying to find an affordable apartment if there are no tense housing markets. And we had those caps, but we have seen it's not working anymore, and especially uh, not in Berlin with this extreme rent hikes that we had, plus 40%. And so I think the second step was to do something more strong. And this was what we call at international level the Berlin rent freeze. So that you stop all rents at a certain point and end up this speculative bubble that is going on, giving the tenants room and time to breathe and also in a way calm the market and also provide more room for not-for-profit affordable housing construction. And I strongly believe, based on my international experience, that that shouldn't be in private hands. It should be in not-for-profit hands, in not-for-profit housing associations. And I do think um, this is a chance that we have now. There is a new movement all over Germany. The name is Mietenstopp, so rent stop. And they are demanding for a rent cap nationwide for the next six years. And they do it with the reason that it's not only the massive problem in Berlin, it is in all major cities in Germany. So we have to do something. Um, the Alliance Mietenstopp, it's non-partisan. So um, it is supported by welfare organizations. It is uh, supported by the trade unions. And I think this is the most important. It is supported by many, many tenant initiatives from the ground. and. I hope that there will be a progress on this nationwide rent cap because I think what all tenants and also landlord needs is a little bit of planning, reliability, 
a good legal framework and a cap also to allow them to get to normal markets back again. Constantine, I wanted to direct your attention to a column that was written by Andreas Klut. He's a Bloomberg opinion columnist who has been on our show several times. And he said recently that the Mietendeckel may have permanently damaged confidence in Berlin's real estate market because investors worry that local property rights could be at risk every time there's an election. And that may end up stopping any housing from being built at all. Do you think he's right? Well... In general, I agree with his uh, conclusions. In fact, uh, together with two colleagues from Austria, we wrote a similar study, which uh, considers the uh, immediate effects of rental freeze in in Berlin. It's interesting that uh, we have three research groups independently working on the same subject, which shows how important this issue became in Germany. I mean, the issue of uh, rental market regulations. In our study, we obtained almost the same results as in in the study mentioned by Kluft. What we saw, first of all, is that uh, rents went down. Rents of regulated dwellings trend down in comparison to the rents of non-regulated dwellings by more than 10%. But at the same time, the supply of housing went down by more than 50%, almost by 60%. And, which is even more interesting, the rents went up in the neighbor communities of Berlin, so outside of the borders of this regulated area. For example, in Potsdam, they started to increase rapidly, much stronger than they did in the previous years. So what does it mean? It means that we protect a group of tenants, the sitting tenants who live in the controlled dwellings, but at the same time, we make the life much more complicated for those entering the market. For example, young people coming together wanting to live somewhere, but they don't find any supply. They, they find only an exaggerated uh, shortage of housing. Or imagine people coming from other cities or other countries to Berlin. Will they find anything? No, they won't. And this is because of the, in part, of these regulations. And uh, I made a study which uh, comprises or which uh, describes the rental market regulations since 1910 in uh, more than 100 countries all over the world. And I see that the effects are always the same. The argumentation is the same behind the introduction of rent freezes because rent freeze is a policy which dates back from World War I and World War II. It's a wartime policy. It's not appropriate for peaceful times that we have now. It's a very effective policy at the first time, at least in the short run, but in the long run, it can be very dangerous. Thomas, what do you say to that? Is it a danger or a help to have this rent cap or freeze? Rent control works. So if you look at the literature for a lot of uh, studies in the U.S. and around the world, they essentially say that rent control does what it's designed to do. It lowers rent in affected uh, apartments, essentially. Um, There is quite a lot of debate around the specifics around the policy, but the the kind of the threads that go through the whole thing is that the more universal it is, the less price distortions you have. Um, If you make exceptions for new builds, that means that it doesn't actually cap or de-incentivize construction, meaning that there will be actually new new housing as well. Several studies also show, um, you know, New Jersey, San Francisco, New York as well, that it doesn't actually decrease the overall supply. But we're talking about um, the huge turnover of apartments over and over and over again in the city. You know, I know I have friends and co-campaigners that are moving three to four times a year. Um, Rent cap and rent control 
control helps to keep people in their apartments. It helps to lower rents. It also helps to incentivize investments in neighborhoods as well from the renters themselves because they know they can stay longer. Without thriving communities um, that are based on security of tenureship, you know, you have a city, in my opinion, that's really not livable. One of the reasons why so many people moved to Berlin in the first place is because you had these communities that had built up livable cities with shops, amenities, and everything. And through this rapid rent increase, they're seeing their communities destroyed. I think one of the other arguments that uh, the neoliberals or the liberals in this country like to make is that it only uh, actually helps rich people that are staying in their already renovated Altbau, which is uh, essentially means like these old buildings that are beautiful that were built at the beginning of the 20th century, only helps them and the, the doctor or the lawyer in Prince Lauterberg, which is simply not true. Looking at a study in 2018 of San Francisco, it actually founds that rent controls are stronger for racial minorities, actually, which suggests that rental control helps prevent minority displacement which is a huge problem also in Germany as well. You have communities of Turkish um, and Arabic Lebanese people that have been living in Kreuzberg and Neukölln for decades. Um, what's going to happen if you force them out to the outskirts of the cities? You know, they will lose social integration. They will probably lose access to jobs that are well-paying. It's a matter of also of inclusivity in my perspective. Thomas, I also wanted to go back to something that the MP Iris Spranger had to say about the efforts to take over apartment companies for public use and benefit in Berlin. We'd rather build affordable housing and see sensible regulations rather than expropriating, because the cost alone for expropriating Deutsche Wohnen apartments is 38 billion euros, and then we'd only have a small part. So Thomas, what's your reaction to what amounts to her criticizing your campaign? Well, my first like gut reaction there is to say, you know, both are not exclusive to each other. So if anything, I think it's important to understand just how much money is wasted in terms of speculation in the city as well. Over the last two years, 200 billion euros have flown into the purchase of existing real estate in the city. 18 billion, in contrast, is all that's been spent for new construction in the same time period as well. So um, by actually taking more land and more property into city hands, into communal hands as well, it will disincentivize speculation. It will remove over 10% of the city's housing stock from speculation and from the market and make it affordable for the long term. This will not only have um, synergetic effects on the prices, it will actually work out by providing an actual stable alternative to market prices, but um, it will also um, have a, a downward effect on land prices as well because there's less land to speculate with as well. Land in and of itself is an expression of expected rent. So if speculators and real estate companies are expecting to make a certain amount of rent, they will spend a certain amount of money on the land as well. I also think that having a big player um, that will increase the proportion of public housing or social housing in the city is huge. Uh, if you look at Vienna, for example, 62% uh, of Vienna is social housing. 80% of Vienna has access to social housing. Um, and they see that as a right, actually, that everybody that lives in Vienna should have access to this. You know, Vienna is one of the most livable cities in the world. So they don't have a problem with investment either um, because they've taken the planning control over themselves. They, they sell land to developers, but decree that you have to have it be social housing as well. So I don't think these things are in competition to each other. I actually think that it's 
more expensive in the long term to see all all these people lose their apartments through uh, the speculation that's being done with these apartments as well. We're only targeting big corporate landlords who have a huge distortive effect on the market as well. By removing them out of the market, we also will relieve pressure and stop them from acquiring new apartments and essentially cornering the market as well. Constantine, what do you think about expropriating property? Uh, what Thomas has to say about it, as well as what the MP Spranger has to say. Yeah, well, I, I should say that I completely against expropriation. In contrast to all of you, I lived in the socialist countries for how many? Almost twenty years, and I know perfectly well what it is to live in a country which is completely controlled, centrally planned, and where expropriation can take place very easily. It's not something which uh, you would describe as a paradise. We had uh, housing queues, so you have to wait. You had to wait for your waiting for decades, not for for several days. And the quality of uh, the expropriated housing was. Uh, very bad. You wouldn't like to live in an apartment like this. So I'm kind of uh, vaccinated against all appeals of uh, expropriations and other forcible redistribution of housing and of people. I don't think it's a, it's a good solution at all. So Barbara, are things going to get worse or better for renters in Berlin and in the country in the foreseeable future? I do see that we have a massive movement in housing policy. Uh, currently. Of course, the, the reason for it that we have a completely dysfunctional market and that uh, even the government see it cannot go on like this. I do see that um, there is more and more interest uh, to keep housing markets accessible and affordable because it also has a massive impact on um, the national and local economy. If people cannot afford to come to cities, cities will lose a lot of uh, workers coming to the cities. And therefore, more and more cities uh, at European level are thinking about rent stabilization mechanisms. And there are, of course, many possibilities how to achieve this. If you put it simple, this is like a minimum wage for tenants and the rent freeze. It is like a wage increase for tenants. And uh, we did uh, the calculation for the city of Berlin. And uh, in total, we have 365,000 people eligible for a rent reduction. 80,000 people already did that, and the average rent reduction of those people is 200 euro per month. So this can, is the wage increase. This is a big success. I, I just want to say I have, I have personal experience. I had my rent lowered by 130 euros a month. So for me, it was a net win. <laughs> Congratulations. So Thomas had a good experience, but uh, sorry, Barbara, go ahead and finish your thought. What I see now uh, more and more at European level, we get a lot of support um, from the institutions. We had a report, a decision of um, the European Parliament with a big majority, really large majority. And they are saying, okay, we have to change markets entirely. We have to go back to the construction of social and affordable housing. I always say the same, social housing for the lower incomes, and affordable housing for the middle incomes and the key workers in the cities that we do not want to lose. So um, more and more ideas are coming. Also, European financing will come. The problem is, again, that the member states, they have to react. And they are quite reluctant currently to do so because we have many neoliberal governments just thinking about the power of the market to, let's say, solve all the problems that we have. As representative uh, of the tenants unions uh, all over the world, I sincerely doubt that. 
And I do see that we have some very, very good developments when we have ranked stabilization mechanism. So what you have to do, I think you have to do both, construct, 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 but then be careful who constructs, who do we want to construct? Will it be the classical real estate tycoon? We know all the, the big funds uh, and uh, in that respect, I recommend everybody to uh, watch the movie, The Push from Lailani Farah. Uh, she chasing uh, the Blackstone group uh, in order to stop with the displacement of people not being able to pay their rents anymore. So this is the one thing. The other thing is we need a clear stabilization of the private rental market, and that can be only done by rent caps. It's the only solution that we have. And I do think that the time is changing now. We have never been so near to really a change of housing policy into a more fair direction. And um, European Parliament made a start. I'm very curious what the German government is going to do about it. Thomas and Constantine, I'm going to ask you the final question, and I would ask that you keep it short for time. But what do you think the key things are that are needed in order to get this housing crisis under control? And we'll start with you, Constantine. Well, I'd like to, to answer Thomas, but uh, unfortunately, I don't have time. But it's it's uh, it could be a very lively discussion, because I have indeed uh, lots lots of things to say about the um, rent control and uh, strict rent control in particular. Uh, in the end of the day, and this, this is based on the results of our recent analysis, strict rent control, and here I mean rent freeze, leads in the long term to the loss of the uh, rental housing market. So people start from protecting housing, rental housing market and end up with the home ownership market. That's the first message. Uh, coming back to your question about uh, what has to be done. Well, the main way is to provide more housing. And I see that it can be done only through cooperation with private investors, not through trying to squeeze them out of the market. Government will never solve your problems. Government is not uh, omnipresent and it doesn't know everything. So the gov government are people. Government are under, often underpaid, understaffed uh, bodies that cannot s replace the market. That's the first thing. And um, the second thing, I think that uh, the, uh, to, to a large extent, the problems that we have, these are the big cities problems. And they are related to the urbanization. So. As long as the big cities grow, they will have, have these problems of uh, unaffordable housing, of uh, housing shortage. And I think that the situation is not sustainable. And uh, in the long, in the very long run, the problem can only be solved by uh, de-urbanization. Because with uh, big cities becoming mega cities, million cities becoming billion people cities, we will always have the same kind of problem and we will not be able to solve it neither by strict government regulations nor by uh, construction, construction, and construction. Thomas, what do you say? What are the key things or key thing that should happen? There's a term called uh, decommodification and definancialization. So as I mentioned earlier in, in the podcast as well, what you're seeing in terms of rent raises and, and speculation has been the cause of this rapid hyper-financialization of the housing market as well. So they call it asset inflation. So as inequality has increased at the global level, but also at the federal level as well here in Germany as well, you know, millionaires, corporations, 
pension funds have all been looking for an outlet to invest in. Um, and the easiest thing to do in the past 30 years or so was to invest and inflate real estate markets. So this injection of capital in the cities has, has destroyed decades of affordable housing as well. And I think you have to look back at the history of what this country, Germany, has done in terms of affordable housing. For almost 50 years, they had something called the Wohngemeinnützigkeit. This essentially was a framework um, that said, you know, through a cocktail of policy and funding, we essentially put nonprofit housing as the desired model on the market as well. This is how you had a huge uh, explosion in construction and social housing as well. It enabled uh, nonprofit housing corporations to emerge on the market as well. Um, if you look at Berlin alone, there's over 200,000 co-ops. These are communally owned associations that are owned by all renters as well. We need to decommodify more and more housing to remove it from the market so that people can actually rely on more nonprofit models as well. We need to build. And I think in my, my perspective, the only way to do that is with the state taking a strong control or leading role in terms of leading the funds to where it is actually needed in terms of either social housing um, or nonprofit organizations. And we need to protect renters. You know, people should be able to stay in their housing. This idea that we're only serving a small clientele is, I think, a bit absurd because, you know, Berlin is 85% renters. Where are these people going to go? We need a solution that is sustainable for, for the long term. And it's more than doable. You know, as I mentioned, 50 years of nonprofit housing in, in Germany also shows that these solutions are viable and they can be funded, but it's a matter of political will. And it's a matter of having enough support from, I think, the grassroots community as well, which is what, what we have a ton of here in Berlin. If you can see our campaigns, you know, there's thousands of us collecting signatures for the referendum right now. But um, yeah, I think we need a huge, a huge uh, direction change when it comes to housing to solve this problem. Well, lots of very informative and opposing viewpoints on our show today. My guests are Thomas McGath, a Berlin housing activist with Expropriate Deutsche Wohnen Company, Barbara Steinbergen, head of the EU liaison office for the International Union of Tenants, and economist Konstantin Khaladelin of the German Institute for Economic Research. Thank you all for being on Common Ground. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Our senior producer is Dina El-Sayed, and I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi-Nelson. Thank you for listening, and please join us again next Monday for another episode of Common Ground. Our program is made possible through a grant administered by the German Ministry for Economic Affairs and Energy. Thank you also to our partner, Berliner Zeitung English Edition. You can download all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to check out our website, commongroundberlin.com. 